random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome everyone to The Marvelist presents Werewolf by Night. Marvel Studios special presentation. Draw blood. I'm loving the multicolored beams, right, that come off of that opening sequence, by the way. Well, Eddie, by the way, before we even introduce the beams, we have to introduce our co-host the, in this the one. The people, the boys. The, the return of Ryan Michael Toon. Ryan, good evening. Good evening. See, that's perfect that's, for this. That's, that's very good. And his hair was perfect, too. <laughs> Monster hunters gather to pay respects to their deceased leader and are thrust into a deadly game. Eddie, don't talk about thrusting at a time like this. It's the pelvic thrust that really drives you in say yay 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 yay. Okay, thank you very much. Time warp. Man, every time you make a reference like that, like legitimate, like you see the look on my face, I'm like, yes, he did it. This, this time he shook his hands and his head <laughs> yeah. at the same time, like yeah. Okay. Anyway, so right right off the bat, yes, you just mentioned and bat. No, we're not talking about uh, vampires. We're talking about uh, werewolf. Their wolf. Their castle. Ladies and gentlemen, why if are you, you take, talking like that? I if, thought you wanted me to. If you take a shot every single time Eddie or myself or Ryan references Young Frankenstein, you will be dead. <laughs> <laughs> so just a heads up for this episode. You will lose count. Ah ah ah! Or even shoehorned in shitty jokes like that one with Sesame Street. Sesame Street. What's wrong with that? Now is he a Muppet monster? The purple face. Yes. He, do you think he is? Because you look at the Muppet monsters like Grover, Telly, Elmo. Those are monsters. Snuffleupagus. Technically, mm-hmm. so the count is he a human or is he a Muppet monster? We don't really know. Is he a is he a Muppet of a man or a very manly Muppet? It's a more than <laughs> I wanted to even know. Now, anyway, so you had mentioned that opening that Marvel Studios special presentation that gave me like flashbacks of like early nineteen eighties, like you know, made for TV movies and stuff like that. Yeah. And I got a real big kick out of that, seeing that. And right down to the music, too, and the lighting and everything. It almost reminded me a bit of, like, you know, a wonderful world of Disney thing. Possibly. And there it's are a, certain yeah. percussion instruments that were only used during that time, like varying types of maracas. They held all kinds of weird names. I can't remember them all now. But, yeah, all those wood blocks and uh, shaking, vibrating, as the thing would start. It was hilarious. I loved it. I thought that was such a smart thing to do, and it, again, it makes it special. Because I don't have they done this before this special presentation. Thing? I don't think so. Because I feel like I've seen it before on like the, uh, when, you know, when Kevin Feige was doing his uh, D twenty three thing of like, and here comes Moon Knight. Yes, Moon Knight. He's coming down Eighth Avenue. <laughs> look at look at him. All three of them. Uh, it's I the just, first official one I can think of. Yeah, exactly. And and what makes it even more, I think, uh, outstanding pops out colorful etc is because right after that we have the total absence of color oh and by the way it is absolutely rabidly fast that marvel studios thing where mm-hmm. it's funny because growing up i didn't realize i was in the minority i you know a majority of this but growing up when you're watching you know tv shows and movies they'll have the titles of these companies like a production company logo come up on the screen 
and sometimes that will scare the shit out of kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you did this ever happen with you? Like you would see one and it would unnerve you a little? <laughs> Probably. That I just you know either blocked out for so many years yeah. ago or whatever. It was it was and the seventies. There's websites for this that talk about these. Like oh, legitimately, like hey, they're you know like they catalog catalog what they are. For me, the one that scared the shit out of me, Columbia TriStar with that flying horse. But specifically, the nineteen seventies nineteen eighties one. Because why? I don't know. What did they change? Did they colorize it? Was it, it black was, and white? No, it, I, it was the horse, the Pegasus flying yep. through right at the the camera, and I'm just like, oh. And I don't know why it always okay. weirded me out. Okay. And that was without having any 3D uh, yeah. help. But, like, that mm-hmm. perspective and everything, it always made me feel that. And every time I watched them up at Take Manhattan, I would have to fast forward that. Oh, okay. That okay, that part. I got it. Now, Ryan, what thing scared the shit out of you? <laughs> <laughs> not, not any openings. I had some uh, weird ones. But um, uh, when it comes to horror, my mom innocently thought because it was old and she grew up with it it wouldn't phase me at all so i got so i got shown a lot of classic universal movie uh monster movies when i was way way too young so even though the the effects were terrible and um you know i didn't really it, it might not have scared me even if she just waited six months a year at the time I got saw these things, I thought the Wolfman was 100% real the first time I saw it. I was sure. like, oh, my gosh, the, 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 the werewolves are real. Um, I, I, I did see the Abbott and Costello, pardon me, uh, uh, meets Frankenstein before I saw the original Dracula, which is the first one where I believe he transforms into a bat. So I completely, as a child, thought there are totally vampires out there that can turn into bats. Uh, so I, for me... It's any movie that just goes right into the fanfare. No opening. That scares the shit out of me because that's the first things that I saw that scared the shit out of me was those classic Universal Monster movies, just like how this did. We have that MCU opening, but then we go right into the boom, 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 epic orchestra music uh, with a title card. Any movie that starts like that actually scares me more than anything else. I can well, I can see it though one hundred percent like that's something very unnerving just you know the drama of it all and again the lack of color which by the way this was all shot in color and the only reason I've heard like rumor and innuendo is they changed it to black and white because they didn't want to get a, a TVMA or uh, R rating. I get that okay I understand that but I you know it was also a nod back to the classic. Universal monster stuff and I'm sure that you felt somewhat of a take back to that Ryan when you got those. Oh three claw slashes going to black hammer. and white and and the electrical lightning going through marvel studios and electrical uh, yes. li- electrical lightning as opposed to you know amish uh, lightning any kind could it be led lighting you know the classic uh, it was font. very it, it was a very classic frankenstein it's alive <laughs> alive yeah it was perfect the clan i guess it was what 1930s was when the, that time frame is from exactly it had a lot of hammer horror, too. You know, the Christopher Lee, uh, Peter Cushing-style stuff, which, man, these That pe- I saw later, and when they were going from the garden to the maze, I was going to bring that up later, but yes, there was that uh, Victorian horror generation, um, Wicker Man, where things were almost more creepier or, or more disturbing than, than just flat-out scary, where it was more like almost psychological, the notes they would pick, the shots they would use, the you know downward shots looking up, which are very dis- disconcerting. 
Not the bees, not the bees. They, oh, wait, wrong wicker, man. No, yeah, but exactly. It does give you that feeling at, at some point in the, in the movie. So, yeah, there are elements of a lot of different horror genres in here. But did you guys notice as we come into that opening shot, there is a certain cameo on the wall of a character that was recently introduced to the MCU. Did you guys notice uh, some of the hieroglyphs on the wall? Is it Stan Lee? <laughs> um, I can't say that I necessarily did. I, you know, we saw the lineup of heroes, and you know, we get the introduction narration, which I took took down. I want to. I'll read that when it's when it's time for that. But I'm not sure. There were a lot of figures, a lot of things going on there, which is what you would do with hieroglyphics to tell a story. Right. I uh, I noticed the first time around right away because of all the research and all the debate of late. If you so if you are um, the the main protagonist's point of view as he is entering the corridor, if you look to the character's left, there is a depiction of a bunch of Vikings killing Gore the God Butcher in his comic book accurate form. Wow. Okay. I didn't. Uh, no, I didn't catch that. I mean, I, I probably caught the melee of that picture representation. It didn't really go beyond that. I was following along. I was trying to listen to the narration, and and go with that. Um, you caught, of course, going down, the uh, the coming right at you, sort of face with those big horns. The uh, the demon. Yes. I think yeah, that was a solo lot, shot. Yeah, lots of crazy things on the wall. <laughs> well, what I caught then, if I could just go through the the narration where. The narrator starts by saying the known universe with its heroes and marvels. But what of the darkness? In our modern world, this is where monsters dwell. Boom! Right there. I had to go. When I went back for a second, I said, that was a comic book title. Eddie, why are you cocking your hand like a gun? Because I'm making a point. <laughs> literally, literally. Where monsters dwell. I said, oh, I, I got that. I got that. I, I did, too. And I, got, like, I loved the references to the uh, the overall history of Marvel with the titles. Like, I've heard like Tales to Astonish has been mentioned in one or something like that. Ant-Man. Ant-Man, you know, then there's a... Uh... Yeah, Corey Stahl says it himself, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And As... I can't wait for them to say Marvel Presents. Well, that we're going to do ourselves in a minute here. Marvel Fanfare. So, it, so this is where monsters dwell, alongside those who hunt and slaughter them with pride. MTV's... None more prolific than the Bloodstone family. MTV's Beavis and Butthead. We could reference that. Yeah, yeah whose patriarch has long controlled the powerful supernatural relic, the bloodstone, a weapon unlike any other. But now this weapon is in want of a new master, for Ulysses' bloodstone has died. I didn't even know he was sick. Tonight is his funeral. You're just in time. So I kind of stopped to think there, but who will next wield the bloodstone? And I went to two different things when I heard that uh, and recently remembered that, yes, the title, Peter said, Marvel Presents first two issues are about Bloodstone. And wouldn't you know, Ulysses Bloodstone. Now I'm going to do a quick uh, Googlepedia search to find out if this is in fact the first appearance because if it is, man, you paid not a lot for those books, so good job. Well, they're not in the greatest condition, but five bucks. The first one, two bucks for the second one, and then if if fans are not, or listeners are not familiar, that Marvel Presents then takes issues three through twelve with Guardians of the Galaxy. The first version with um, what's his name? 27. Steve. Steve. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Eddie? Yep, that's the first appearance of Ulysses Bloodstone. There we go, okay. But it's not the first appearance of Elsa Bloodstone, which is in Bloodstone number one. Do you have that one? 
Well, if it's from the 1975, 76, then... No, 2001, Eddie. 2001? A Space Odyssey, even. Oh, that? Oh, I think I do. (laughs) I think it's that that tough issue number eight that I'm in in want of. Was it the first Machine Man, I think? No, that's 2000. Well, yes, 2001 Space Odyssey. I have it. Oh, Space Odyssey. I'm thinking... No. 2001 Space Odyssey. Okay, okay, fine. The Jack Kirby run. Yes. Excellent series, by the way. Cannot recommend that enough, especially that big-ass treasury, because it's primo Kirby in big-ass format. Not ASP format, but you know what I mean. Now, it makes me wonder. Wah, 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 no, that's wonder. another thing. That's kind of a line from a Led Zeppelin song. But who will next wield the bloodstone? And, again, referring back to the comic book. And who will you stop the rain? All familiar with that one as well, Ryan, the, uh, the comic reference? Oh, yes. Okay. This show is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themarvelists. And on the $3 tier, you'll get access to episodes early and ad-free. The $5 tier gets you our two bonus shows. One, Fantastic Voyage, where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues, one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier, pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice. Or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. The other Bloodstone I recalled was a song that, if this is not too loud, from uh, from Judas Priest. Which, by the way, was out in 1982 and uh, features You've Got Another Thing Coming. One of my favorite things about Eddie when he goes into DJ mode is you have it softly as a bed in the background as we talk over it. And there we go. So that's the <laughs> Bloodstone music reference. Who will wield the next Bloodstone? It's got to be Judas Priest. Who will stop the rain? That's CCR. We talked about this, didn't we? Yes, we did. I'm having Vuja Day. It's like for the first time all over again. Oh, man. It's like Steely Dan if they didn't suck. <laughs> oh, stop. No, I like Steely Dan. Thank I just you. I to make that joke. Okay, fine. So, yes. Elsa, Ulysses' daughter. Oh, Elsa, let it go. And greatest disappointment of his life, supposedly. Me? And my dad? Well, well, you know. Well. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of family history to explore, because even when it's said and done, uh, they made it clear that um, the matriarch of the show is not her mother, um, and that she did not get along with the rest of her family. So even though... This is a one shot. We definitely could learn a lot more about the blood. I, I am interested to learn a lot more about the bloodstone. So. Wait, did you pluralize it, or is there supposed to be just one? I, I'm hoping we learn more about her family. I mean, there, there. I would think, uh, you know, after the events of the show, there are going to be other people that have uh, something to say about her taking over the monster hunting uh, world. Yeah, and that's some untapped stuff that could, you know, come out later with if they're going to develop other related uh, topics and characters and so on. But, but yeah, we do uh, hear about so many death dealers in this one room. Uh, I wasn't sure if the significance of naming how many some of these characters have killed, if, if those numbers meant anything. Uh, I think one had 20. I wrote these down. One had 26. We have 37. 43. I said, oh, wait, isn't that where Werewolf by Night ended? With issue number 43, possibly. Uh, an impressive 57 for the one uh, bearded 
tall guy. He reminded me of uh, one of the um, Thor characters. And then over 100, or was it more than that even, for our new entry, which later says his name is Jack, and I didn't uh, quite get his facial markings in a sense. They reminded me of Voodoo. They reminded me of Black Panther. You, oh, but you saw those markings, Owen, oh, those white markings. Oh, yeah. The... Yeah, yeah, the war paint. I'm not, yeah, I wasn't sure which uh, which uh, ancestry he was honoring with his war paint, if it was uh, either Native American or um, uh, uh, Mexican or yeah. what, what he was going for. Right, but. that's true. That, yeah. Uh, and, and here comes the animated Ulysses, which, which, if they market it correctly, could be a great Halloween decoration. Stop that. I'll be <laughs> rotting for you. I love that people were annoyed that there was comedic elements in this thing, and that was the line, like, everyone had a bone to pick with. I want to make that joke. That was good. Thank you. That but was good. Graveyard, re- graveyard humor. I like that. In in regards to uh, the whole you know thing of like humor being incorporated in this, not everything has to be deadly serious, guys. No, we got to like lighten really... it up a little bit. That's why when you... Uh... It, was, it was nighttime, too. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, and why you uh, take the color away? You kind of, you kind of was it dumbing down? Maybe I'm that kind of thing. So I'm going to ask you both this, by the way, before we even get. It also in. felt like a huge crib keeper. I mean, it was a wink to the crib keeper. So okay. if you're trying to uh, uh, pay homage to a lot of horror genres quickly, that's how you do it. You make just a single joke. You you let people know. Yeah, we know the crib keeper was a thing, and mm-hmm. you move on. I saw. By the way, I saw a crib keeper uh, cosplayer at Comic Con this year as well, and just random. Mm-hmm. But I digress. Sure would be. Anyway, so what I wanted to ask both of you, the black and white in this episode, utilize, or not episode, but in this uh, special, utilizing black and white, over the years, in regards to the black and white of this, you know, a lot of people I know, they can't watch black and white because they feel, it's boring, it's this, it's that. Literally, I know somebody who we all, well, you and me, Eddie, know, believe the world was in black and white up until a certain point in time in our country. Um, yeah. 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 He's not the brightest sandwich in the basket. He's but your best friend, number one. Don't don't, don't bury the lead. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so in regards to the whole element of black and white for this, did the black and white bother you at all? Because I thought it was perfectly fine. Like, it doesn't affect me. I'm not of the whole, it needs color, you guys. Otherwise, I'm going to be like, why don't I know she's wearing a red jacket? No, the thing with... <sighs> To me, I've learned in my years, I think, with, with black and white is now you're being forced, in a manner of speaking, to focus on the other elements of what's going on in front of you visually and also auditorially, if I said if I said that correctly. Yeah. And that would be... You're the radio man The words guy. that are being said, the way they're being said, of course, so the inflection, and then also any accompanying background music that's going to set tone or set up. Or if you're seeing that characters are moving from... A lit area, you can distinguish that light from dark, for crying out loud, and see what importance that's going to have. And why can't I see what's underneath that coat and the hand in the pocket, maybe, or something? Uh, those things you're going to pay attention to more. And I think I first came upon that with, not let's say a, a, a Bogart movie, but maybe with uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Here's looking at you, Eddie. And there. Now, in regards, you know, uh, you know, somebody. I remember reading an interview recently from back in the day and the filmmaker made the comment of color is just a gimmick and it, you know when you really think about it it just is you know Sorry. obviously we're so used to it now in our everyday life of watching movies and television but 
it's just a gimmick. Well, you can make the argument about how movies that were originally in black and white have been colorized and people don't like that. Oh, that's the worst. You can say that you know, the, the color is a distraction, perhaps. I, I want to get my hands on, and it's like it's considered lost media now, but the Turner colorized version of Citizen Kane. And like they've said, we will never release this because like, it oh. pissed off so many people. Oh, worse than uh, It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah. Okay. And I would just say the the black and white threw me off only at moments because of it creating the mood it creates. Uh, so when you're watching this Victorian, um, everyone was dressed in a very classic style. It was black and white. But then at random times would come these guards with these futuristic stun guns. So that was the only reason the black and white threw me off, just because it kept uh, kind of telling my brain the narrative is this happened a long time ago. This happened in the 40s. This is a classic story of a monster story. You know, just like other classic monster movies, I'm assuming this happened in the 40s. And then all of a sudden, no, this is current. They, the artist, the director just chose to make it black and white because here comes uh, a guard or Elsa Bloodstone will say something that's very colloquial and modern. Yeah. So it, it, that was the only reason the black and white threw me off, because I just kept uh, imagining this took place a long time ago and having to be shocked and brought back to, no, this is current. I kind of got that sense, too, when I saw those stun guns that reminded me either of something in, during the Loki series. Exactly, or, they do look very TVA. Or uh, the Stallone movie, and I'm and I got SAPD in my head. Uh, I'm th- but it's not Time Cop. That's Van Damme. The the Stallone Sandra Bullock movie, Demolition Man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oof. Came out of that one. All right. Fine. Uh, so we have the contest for the next Bloodstone Keeper, and uh, being told that weapons have been placed in the garden and uh, and ridding this land of its abominations. Whoop. Okay. Maybe intentional, maybe not, but why would you put, I don't know, I guess it's just the way they did this contest, putting the weapons in the garden, which to me is all a series of buildings and stone walls and so on that, that they're going to. Um, my my next note after that is the uh, fire-spitting tuba and the chant, and so it shall be. And so it shall be. Exactly. Uh that was the low point of the entire special for me. I don't know what it was about the flaming tuba. It, 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 it made me laugh. It made me ask why it did anything but made, for me, it did anything but add to the narrative. It, it just completely took me out of it where I just wanted to sit with the director with a notepad and ask why. Why a flaming tuba? Yeah, especially when you see, if you did catch it in the credits, there is a character of the flaming tuba played by David Silverman. <laughs> I mean, what? I had yeah. to write when I saw it. I said, "No, no, I have to write this down, and just make note of it." Um, yeah, but we have uh, we have that going on there, and and the who put the Victrola in the garden? And what song is that playing anyway? Somewhere over the rainbow. No, that was later. Oh, sorry. This was this. That, that reminds me very much of the Clue movie with Tim Curry. The way you said all the weapons were laid out in the garden, and the way they're listening to a creepy record, and all of a sudden the song cuts out completely. Those are, those are almost shot for shot uh, moments in the in the Clue movie. So that uh, but it, that really has nothing with horror, but just the way they show up with the the death of a, a patriarch, very similar to the way uh, Mr. Body dies. There's just a lot of elements that, for some reason, one or another, uh, remind me of Clue in this special. And there were only two instances I caught. It just happened because I'm I'm watching the whole screen, whatever it was on the phone or whatever, and seeing 
what's called the uh, cigarette burns, the changing of the reel. Did you catch yes, those? That was a of, nice touch. Definitely back to because that's what you did when you made movies. Then I loved seeing that, and that was one of the things I wanted to make sure if you guys caught it as well because it, oh it's, hell yeah, it's such a cool little effect. And right down to you know adding the grain to the uh, show again, smart, smart editing, smart uh, visual interpretation. And it, you can tell it's by guys that, you know, really, really appreciate the stuff that came before this. And throwing it back to you, Ryan, with the uh, introduction of these these little things that, that we find out who the character of Jack is. He names himself. These little things explode, so we're going to explode our way out of here. And they look, you know, they're metallic, they're round, they're silver. And look who is here because we have a monster Hand grab and the bloodstone is on its hide. Is that yes? If you don't know the muck monster himself, the macabre you, man thing. If you don't know, now you know. Now you man know. Thing. <laughs> I would, yeah. That, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say that was really cool. I know uh, there were specials coming out beforehand. I didn't want to watch too much, but the whole headline was we did as much practically as we could, and of course they put a lot of CG um, paint jobs over it. Let's say. But, yeah, they, they, they tried to do as much of that practically as they could for close-ups. Did you guys get a – like, so I heard, yeah, there's, like, a little bit of practical effects even for Man-Thing. So Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, the, the, all those close-ups of his hand and stuff, they're definitely uh, – there's definitely a fine-tuning of CG to make it look smooth. But, yeah, you can tell that all, for a lot of those close-ups, the, that was a giant suit and an actor, which is great. Yeah, I was just overwhelmed with the fact that whoa, you know, just taking taking in the enormity of it. And I so love on. Joey Lawrence. <laughs> whoa, is that okay? That's fine. Yeah, I used to watch Blossom back in the day. Good God. show. Maybe I paid too much attention to the names of those that were in this. Uh, I don't know mausoleum, I suppose, because you had about a dozen all the, all together on the wall, and I was trying to put a time frame to it, but it didn't seem to fit because some of them were back to the 1800s, and then some of the Times when they passed were in the 1960s, I thought I saw. I don't know if these names meant anything, if you caught those, Ryan. What is in a name? No, I, I, I didn't see those. I, I, I mean, I, I definitely saw the names, but I did not cross-check to see if they were, like, um, matching up with any cool moments in history or something. Uh, yeah, just I, maybe random dates and years, but names like Jacob Howell McDougall, Mika, Brandon and, uh, and May Clayla. And David Long, those are just some of... How long is David? Griffith Burke, Wodonsky. People who have never been in my kitchen. Exactly. <clears throat> and there was Francis Brisbane Bloodstone. That one, you know, gets broken. Smashed, if you will. That supposedly I Elsa said was told by her, what, grandmother or something. I think there should have been a nice Easter egg to either um, uh, Bram Stoker or um, a Van Helsing kind of reference in there to some something a little Easter egg for some some more famous monster hunters we've heard in fiction before. Yeah, I would have gone with Van Helsing on that. You're right. More than any uh, any other thing too, but but the introduction is made. Elsa and Jack. My name is Jack, by the way. And Elsa, her plan is: you cross me, I'll kill you both. Uh, meaning to call <laughs> the other monster, call him Ted. And if you don't know Ted, Ted Salas, who also we have to tie this into the super soldier serum, in this case gone wrong, with some help from the Florida Everglades. Um, I did recall, though, from reading the first issue of Man-Thing, 
or maybe it was fear, that um, he was, in a way, I thought, like Dr. Stephen Strange, full of himself, arrogant, and, you know, looking down on other people. That seems like uh, that seems like the poetic justice that he would have suffered. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, of course, I had to write because of the fact that he did kill um, or dispose of the fifty-seven kills person who reminded me of a Thor, one of those um, characters that whatever knows fear. Volstag. Volstag. That's it. Thank you. Whatever knows fear burns at the man things touch. I was really happy to see man thing showing up in this, and to be honest, like this is a character that. You know, you hear so many comments, so many snickers with man thing. That's another word for a duel. <laughs> but it's like I I get it. But on the flip side, man thing is a great character. You know, where so many great talents have worked on him. He, mind you, is mind thing. I mean, is man thing. There we go. Easy for my, me to say. No, it's not. Is it's evidently not. <laughs> you ass. Gotcha. <laughs> is man thing on par with Swampy? No. But some great writers have worked on the character. You know. You look at the R.L. Stein, R.L. Stein of Goosebumps fame and Fear Street. R.L. Stein did a Man Thing comic, and it's pretty damn good. So, give Man Thing a chance, especially the Steve Gerber stuff. Gerber, you know, who was like so ahead of his time, and is one of those I wish was still with us because I would be annoying the shit out of him for an interview. Because, <laughs> like, let's be real. Like, if you thought I could be annoying with the cartoonist kayfabe guys, believe me, Gerber was would have been like the top of the charts for yeah. me. But. <clears throat> Yeah, I just think uh, Man Thing's a great character, and seeing this version on the on the, the medium sized screen is pretty cool. It's it's an amazing design. I certainly feel when you look at the um, uh, whatever you want to call them, Coke and Pepsi heads and tails characters, where you can see they have a twin in the uh, other universe. I always felt that Man Thing got the short end of the stick. That Swamp Thing was a much cooler design. Uh, the tendrils coming out of the face, I just always thought were kind of silly. When I saw him on the medium screen, man, they, they not only did they do him justice, I feel I like the character Man Thing more after seeing its what could only be described as its real-life application. If I saw that in real life, I would be terrified. And, you know, maybe even more than Swamp Thing. So I, I, I feel they not only did the character justice, maybe redeemed him to a lot of people. Well, just to add to that a little bit, Ryan, is, yeah, I could understand that, too. And then you would, of course, burn. And, uh, but other than that, <laughs> I saw that or heard that man thing got more of a speaking part, if you will, even though it was grunts <laughs> and so on. And Jack could speak man thing as Star-Lord can speak or rather... Well, after a while, everybody besides Rocket could speak Groot. So, right. <laughs> so, and then, you know, so we, and we get into some funny part there, especially at the uh, the end of all this. But a funny part that comes in, too, and I'm hoping nobody was bashing it too much, was uh, these silver blinking, beeping discs that he, Jack, accidentally learned how to turn on and activate, doesn't adhere to a wall, and finally has to get put onto a ledge piece, whatever, crack in the wall so that it can blow the wall apart. And, uh, and Jack then getting zapped by trying to retrieve the bloodstone. Maybe that's maybe that's a setup for something that we'll see later. That's used against him by the the matriarch of the Bloodstone family. That uh, he you know he and the Bloodstone don't don't go together. Don't mix. 
Yeah, it was a pretty I, – I don't think anyone was surprised, but it was a cool way of uh, making the big turn and, and outing, outing Jack very quickly. So it was, I thought that was well handled. And then even the interaction that we're going to find out what that meant if we weren't sure, where Jack says, Elsa, are you all right? And then she turns around and says, until you rip my throat out, I suppose I'm fine, before they get incarcerated or whatever. And, and you know, Jack's trying to say, look, full moon is monthly – I lock myself up, and the next one isn't until five days, but I guess he didn't know that the Bloodstone can transform him in, like, five seconds. So uh, so Jack has to sniff Elsa and need to remember her. Does it work? Once. I like, though, too, when we get uh, the Bloodstone energy bringing out the beast and you seeing Elsa as if you were facing her, but behind her and the shadowing of the transformation I don't think I'd seen that technique too often. Or it was somewhat of a homage to others that have happened, again, back in the 40s or 30s with monster movies. Yeah, I, a lot of great visual, I mean, I'm sorry, audio work there, listening to Jack slowly turn into uh, the werewolf. It was really cool to hear the, sometimes they happen too quickly, where I feel it just goes from one voice to another voice. Um, there felt like there was a, a myriad of levels where the, as he was transforming, his voice was changing. It just wasn't a switch where it went from a human to a wolf. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, exactly. And I thought for sure that even though, you know, initially Werewolf was in the cage before he got out, uh, Verusa, I think her name was, got too close. I thought her arm was getting ripped off. And I guess it didn't quite happen. <laughs> but he did manage to jump through and escape out the top of the of the cage. And what an escape yeah, it was. It was. Very and, strong. Yeah, and then when, you know, well, maybe sort of the dust settles, we get the uh, colorized picture fading in from, emanating from Bloodstone, and we see a reclining Elsa and uh, and Jack awake outside. Man-Thing, again, another funny part starts, Man-Thing is serving a cup of gel to Jack, and yes, here's the Victrola and Somewhere Over the Rainbow from Judy Garland. And again... Great, great uh, symbolism by using that because of the whole fact of somewhere over the rainbow, she ends up returning to Kansas and, you know, going back to black and white. But one, I mean, Oz is, you know, the land of color. So it's kind of like it's a reverse L, or it's a reverse Wizard of Oz, you know. So definitely for, not for the little kids. Well, obviously. <laughs> I mean, what did you guys think of the uh, the combat? What did you think of uh, the the wolf in his wolf form? Brutal. For the combat for that, that was very brutal. And I'm like, I can get why they almost went with an R rating or TVMA for for this. Like, sure. that was intense. Yeah, I liked, uh, there were times, I, I it was interesting choices. That's what I thought was really cool about it is um, the choreographer did not choose to make him go right at the enemy all the time. There was lots of... Uh, almost daredevil hallway-like tricks where he would do mm. flips off the wall that almost made it look like, um, for anyone that's had a young puppy, they get a case of the zoomies where they're literally bouncing off the walls. Yeah. And I, I saw a lot of that in the way he would attack his prey. He wouldn't go right at it. He would sometimes go off three, maybe four surfaces to attack his prey at just the right angle. I thought that was really cool. What would have maybe made me had a more severe sort of reaction, I guess, is you know seeing a blood splatter coming onto the screen 
in front of you. Maybe if the lighting was a little bit brighter, it would have been a, maybe a little more impactful to me. But otherwise, like, whoa, okay, this is di a little different. Not rain on a windshield, but yeah. And, you know, sparing you from seeing anything further, that would have definitely necessitated a higher or more uh, restrictive uh, rating. You knew what was happening, so... Nobody was living out of that uh, that sequence, that room. Yeah. Although in some yeah, cases, you saw you saw Elsa, for example, and I forget who else, who underwent some kind of attack and just kind of shook their or twisted their neck around or something and, and came back. So I said, all right, who's got these unnatural abilities or, or whatever? Yes, we certainly need to know more about Elsa because... For living in disgrace and being told that she was a problem and a burden and never going to be uh, anything, she was clearly the best fighter. So, <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, you just didn't uh, seclude yourself, or maybe you did for years on end and have a have a sensei or somebody. I, you know. so that was I think Laura Donnelly, and of course, for our main as as Jack Russell. Gail Garcia Bernal, if I got it right, uh, and Casey Jones as Ted slash Man Thing. I particularly liked at the end too. Special thanks. I think the last part of the special thanks were the parents who encouraged their kids to have fun imagining a world full of classic monsters. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I think I, I think my mom helped me with that too, with uh, creating a hide and seek game called Monster. And, you know, being into the Halloween decorating thing. You're into Halloween decorating? Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> you see, the joke is, ladies and gentlemen, Eddie makes it into a yearly event. It's a big thing. Yes. It's very big. I like the skeleton. The big 12-foot skeleton. This big skeleton, Eddie. And the 12-foot pumpkin inferno skeleton. And this I love, year, personally, the 9-and-a-half-foot werewolf. My favorite thing ever still is, and I saw it recently, the uh, giant spider, and then I saw the memory show up of you with the giant spider. Oh. And the big, like... The big smile on your face, like, is the most wholesome thing I've ever, like, I've ever seen with you. Because I'm just like, oh, I'm so happy. It was either that or me holding this thing up, which I don't know how made at least 25 pounds, and saying to my wife in my in my head, "Hurry up, take the picture." Yeah, well, I'm just gonna smile now. So like, yeah, oh, it's adorable. It's a boy and a spider. Exactly. <laughs> and the werewolf is called Wolfie, by the way. Ah, uh, In terms of Eddie Munster's little animated is it uh, figure, or Wolfie, Wolfie. I thought it was Wolfie. Woofy? Yeah. That's just silly. Ryan, comment? Eddie Munster? <laughs> what do you I I don't even remember what his nickname was. Let me let me find out. I'll go to Dr. Google. <laughs> we can't swear end the was, episode I until we know. I swear it was Woofy. Woofy? Eddie Munster's Woofy. W O L F I E. I think you are right. <gasps> Imagine this. Oh, I know. Munster's Woof Woof. <laughs> I'm seeing that one. What about the pet dragon? Was it called Tiny? No. It was called Steve Buscemi. It... So hold on. What? I'm trying to find out what the... I'm seeing it's Woof Woof. Legitimately, I'm seeing Woof Woof. Okay. So let's go to Wikipedia. Eddie Munster. Hold on. This is, this is what you come for, ladies and gentlemen. We still want to know why. Per... <laughs> <laughs> Well, although I will say some. shout out to a listener of the show. He's on Twitter and he he used a term and I was dying that he used it. And it, it's appreciated so damn much that he said it. Uh, shout out to 
uh, at Kojo Doug, and he used the term the award-winning Disney Plus, and I was dying. That earned him a follow back. Yeah. And yeah, yep. that rules. Like I was like, that person, whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you for using that term that I didn't think would ever catch on with at least one person. Mm-hmm. And that person has been my girlfriend for the last few months. And <laughs> I love you, baby. Thank you for humoring my bullshit. But thank you to Kojo Doug for also humoring me. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Yeah. Anyway. The non-BS kind of way. But yeah, so it's woof woof. What am I going to do? I'm not the writer of the Munsters. I guess so. You want me to go back and like, hey, yell at him or something? I haven't heard anybody contradict my saying Wolfie from well, the Munsters. I, I've heard Wolfie, too. Okay. I'm not saying like, a, Eddie, Eddie, I'm going to shame you for saying woof, <laughs> Wolfie. I don't care. It's one oh. of those social experiment things. I can't remember what they call that when it affects uh, oh, Mandela. the Mandela effect. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be Eddie's permanent scarlet letter just yelling behind him at all times. Hey, this guy thought it was Wolfie. Hey, look at the point of that guy. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'll carry around my girlfriend's bell that she just won for her marathon. It'll be like, ding, ding, ding. Woof, woof. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, That's thank you for cool. dealing with my bullshittery. But this episode, we finished talking about Werewolf by Night. I thought it was a hoot and a half. Just an overall... Uh, it was a howl. Ing. It was a monster mash. Do you think uh, we're going to get yearly horror things now? Do you think we're, we're going to get a Frankenstein or a Dracula or some other monster next year? I mean, we do have the Midnight Suns and Blade coming, but... Uh, I don't know, but... I, 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 yearly I talk- or just when they're ready for them, I, you know... I was talking off mic to Eddie about this, and I just made the comment, Phase 5 is going to be, I can almost guarantee... The spoopy stuff. A lot of spoop is going to be coming down the pike in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I made the comment. I'm like, this is tailor-made for Eddie. Like, this is going to be Eddie's time where he's, like, he's going to be ecstatic with everything. So just think, maybe they can shoehorn in Morbius in this. Dr. Michael Morbius, he did earn that degree. He came around and said it finally. You heard it here, folks. No, no, the good Michael Morbius, the one I met at New York Comic Con. You still still said the name. I celebrated this uh, by the very next day this came out. Actually, you know, because I watched this the, the midnight before. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Pardon me. So when I went to Comic-Con, this was actually release day. I celebrated the release by having uh, Giuseppe Camincoli of Superior uh, Spider-Man art fame sign uh, a Howling Commandos cover he did, where it was the classic team of a Frankenstein um, I can't remember the fourth. It might be Elsa Bloodstone, um, Frankenstein, someone else, Man-Thing, and Werewolf by Night. And they are set up in the classic uh, Queen, Night at the Opera, Bohemian Rhapsody pose. Oh, and it, it was just a glorious way of celebrating uh, Moon Knight. Because I, I don't, I, I'm sorry, Werewolf by Night. I don't have a lot of Werewolf by Night comics. So I just happened to have this really cool one by Giuseppe Chemicoli. Had him sign it. And I realized... Um, it was a full moon, I believe, the day this premiered. That's why it premiered it uh, on an awkward day. So, well, that's great timing. And uh, yeah, there there was a full moon for a couple of nights during that the, oh, the yeah. weekend time. So yeah, a great get by the way. Then there, sure. There's always a full moon when you pants somebody. Ha 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 ha! Oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! We got to watch this guy, or not. Anyway, so yeah, I, I had a really big uh, kick out of this episode. Thought you know. I would like to see there be more horror in the Marvel Universe, you know. More horror that's not unintentional. Hi, Morbius. 
Ooh, what are you doing? <laughs> but anyway, I digress. I got a kick out of this episode or this show, and I hope you all check it out too on the award-winning Disney Plus. So that's gonna wrap this episode up this week. To all my uh, my spooky heads out there, something I don't know. I was trying to make something funny for this. It was Halloween themed. I couldn't do shit. I don't know. Ooh, that didn't like sound that good. <laughs> that did not sound good. <laughs> for the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Ryan Michael Toon. And I, I am Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, I wanted a cool spooky one. <laughs>